0: The advice and opinions expressed by Dr. Grand Pichet and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet, the- Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Dr. Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning, and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod. I am sitting right here, right now, with the fabulous, the wonderful Dr. Doreen grampy Good morning.
1: Good morning, Shannon. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to be here.
0: Thrilled to be here with you, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, because for the first time, I think, we are streaming live on Instagram, on wow. your, on your Instagram. Okay. I did not know. So that. I exciting. didn't know that until two seconds ago either. But so if it is your first time being here, we have all kinds of interesting noises in the studio today. <laughs> My stomach is making noises and we have alien noises. We have all kinds of things happening. So it's just an interesting new day, but thrilled that you guys are here with us. If you don't know Dr. Grampy Shea, she's a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for more than 45 years. Yes. I know. Uh, it, it means wow. you were eight, apparently, when you started, and even that seems far-fetched. Uh, but she Goodness. has been working in this field for that long. Uh, she's a mover and a shaker, if you've been watching the news, moving and shaking even more in the last couple of uh, weeks here. Uh, but she's a true expert, and and I think even beyond that, because you can be an expert in something, but you could be cold and dispassionate, but you are quite the opposite of that. You are the best person I have ever met at perspective-taking. Thank you. You are the best advocate that I have ever met in my years in the autism community, advocating for people on the spectrum and for the people who love them. Thank you. I'm one of those people. (laughs) I identify as a pony, a parent of a neurodiverse individual. I have seen you advocate for me and other parents. I've seen you advocate for my son and other people on the spectrum. I just have so much respect for you. Thank you that so much. It's boundless Ellen. and endless. Thank you very much. And I adore you. But other than that, she's here today and every Tuesday that we can get her, she answers your questions live. So we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and on Instagram for the first time. You can be writing your questions in on those platforms if, uh, they will automatically show up here on our screen, and then in that way, uh, Dr. Grampichet and I can both see them and chat with you. So we're saying good morning already to Parker and uh to Maddie uh, Farrow, and I'm seeing Parker that his mom broke her ankle, but he's being Mr. Nurse. Good for you, Parker. That's I awesome. love that. And he says that she will love today's topic because... Uh, Today's topic, we're talking about autism and creativity. That's our starting topic, talking about fostering artistic expression, highlighting the creative talents of individuals with autism, and how to nurture artistic expression through various mediums such as art music writing and filmmaking because we find that a lot of people on the spectrum are drawn to those mediums mm-hmm. and it's a way to express themselves so we're starting our starting questions are having to do with that but we will actually take questions on any subject but that's sort of our jumping off point and I'm going to jump right in here with our first question but do be writing in uh, let me also say this um, if you're not watching us live, then you might be watching us in podcasts. There are two different ways to watch us after the show is live. You can be watching us as a podcast on YouTube where you can see the video with the audio, Or we podcast as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcast. It's a free download. So we hope you'll check that out. If you have questions, you can be writing it in during the live show. Or if it's not live, you can write in. You can visit ask, you can visit Mm drdoreen.com. Um, you can, uh, click the contact tab and write in. That goes to Marina who is just fabulous and Marina will make sure that your question gets answered on the air. She's <laughs> much more efficient than I am at that. So don't has and then you get a little bit more time and space. So ask Dr. go there and and check out what else is there. And we want to make sure that you guys now uh, Dr. Ask Dr. Doreen is a it's a podcast on its own. So make sure that you subscribe to that podcast. Because there's going to be things that you're going to get as a subscriber coming up. So you're going to want to make sure that you do that. Currently, right now, you can still get subscribe and get Ask Dr. Doreen on Autism Live. But there's a, that sunsetting. setting. Right. Eventually, it will right. just be on at, for Ask Dr. Doreen. So make sure that you subscribe while you can. And there will be some fun things that you will get in your inbox because of that. Now let's launch into the first question. My 10-year-old is nonverbal. He loves to paint and wants to do it all the time. I feel like we should just let him paint. Mm-hmm. My husband, uh, and she says, uh, maybe this is the whole purpose in life. My husband doesn't agree. He wants our son to spend his days in therapy and classrooms, learning how to communicate on an iPad and tie his shoes and do math. Mm-hmm. I love that those are the examples yeah, that yeah. she gives. Yeah. Uh, she says, all that does is frustrate our son. Not agreeing is affecting our marriage. Right. I told my husband I would be willing to hear what your expert opinion
1: is. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so there great.
0: we go. That's great. Uh yeah, and I can't think of anybody better to answer this question. Well,
1: first of all, thank you for including us in the debate because <laughs> this is is <laughs> yeah. meaningful for us. I am I, I hate to say it, but I think there's got to be a balance. And with everything else in life, there's got to be a balance and with your you know, if your son uh, was allowed to paint all day and did not learn things as basic as, let's say, tying his shoes, um, he would always be dependent on others. And I think that it becomes really important, especially when our kids are younger, that we look at their future and we start looking into kind of what are the things I need my child to know so that they have as much of an independent future as possible. It's all about that, right? Independence and thriving, and so, while I'm not sure, depending on, on, how, you know, your, your son's strengths and weaknesses, I don't know if math is going to be something that's useful to him in the future. It very well could be. Um, but tying his shoes most probably is. Mm-hmm. Um, daily living stuff is probably going to be very important for him. Uh, taking care of his own needs, adaptive skills, uh, things that will help him survive are going to be important especially communication because while now and I don't know if they said the age of 10 right so what happens is you know when our kids are like five six seven ten whatever we do as much as we can for them we are there to take care of their needs and in some ways it's, it's a wonderful thing and in some ways it's enabling them to not learn the skills that they need in order to function independently so um, I think it's more important to have some balance just because for your child, it'll be important for him to be able to have a good life, especially when you're not there. Communication is a big, big, big part of this because as our kids get older, if they don't know how to communicate appropriately, if they haven't learned those ways, whether it's using icons or signs or vocal, whatever the form is, if they don't know how to do that, they will start to communicate, they'll get frustrated, and they'll communicate through uh, aggressive or uh, assertive behaviors, which are not then going to be acceptable in society. So I think it's really important to teach those kind of more basic core skills that help us survive and actually thrive in life. Yeah,
0: my first thought was, what happens when he wants more blue paint? mm mm-hmm. Like how, mm-hmm. how is he able to request? I need a fan paintbrush. Yeah. How do I? You know, I want cerulean blue, not azure blue. Yeah. You know um, that that I think I can. I think of all the clients that I've seen you with over the year, and how you how you foster right. that creativity, but and how you use their desire to want to be create creative to learn things that are important to them.
1: Definitely.
0: Um, but but I, I, I think it's too much of one thing. I love that you said, I'm sorry to say this, but I think there's got to be immediate. I love that because too much of yeah. one thing, I, I, I don't want them to stop fostering the painting. Right. right, But I don't want them to stop giving him the ability
1: at least to communicate it. I'm with yeah. you on the math.
0: Throw the math away. It's
1: balance, <laughs> though. Math. It's all about balance, yeah. right? It's balance in our own lives as well. Like This yeah. is one of the things my dad taught me, which is, it's all about the middle, right? It's yeah. not about one extreme or another. It's about balance, because if you don't have balance, eventually it's going to hit you. you're going to struggle. yeah. And so not to, you know, I, I love that he's into painting because you now have not just the medium through which he can express himself, but a rewarding activity. And you know there's, yeah. there's a lot of um, research that shows that individuals on the spectrum have very little leisure activity that yeah. they enjoy mainly because we forget that side, right? And I love that you have that side, maintain that for sure. But that is the, the, just like your life, you know, we all, we have to get up, we have to go to work, we have to go to the supermarket, we have to clean our house, we have to take care of others, we have to feed the animals, whatever it is. These are things that are not necessarily leisure activities, but we do them. And then when we have the leisure activities, they're more enjoyable they're very rewarding, um, and they balance us out. And I think that's what it's all about. Also, leisure activities, honestly, Shannon, after a while, don't have an enjoyable side if they're all the time. Yeah. Like they, we satiate on things if we have access to them all the time. Absolutely. I'm going to get to the live questions, but I want to get to this next
0: question that was sent in. My 2 and a half year old was just diagnosed, and I guess I'm looking for hope. Oh yeah. I am devastated. My whole childhood was centered Mm -hmm. around ballet. And when I found out I was having a little girl, all I dreamt of was taking her to ballet classes, seeing her recitals and sharing our mutual love for ballet. I know I must seem shallow and selfish, but I am so sad that Mm -hmm. I won't be able to share this with her. I have cried every day since diagnosis. She was already in ballet class, but they asked me to stop bringing her. Again, she's two and a half years old. The teacher told me it wasn't right for her. She is the one that told me I should take her to be looked at for autism. I will admit that I took her thinking that she wouldn't be diagnosed, and I was going to go back to the teacher and ask her to take my daughter back. But then she did get the diagnosis. <sighs> I'm heartbroken. Is there any hope? Um, and I think that that's a, you know, I'm glad that she found us and that she's written in, and I hope that she's listening as you give her your answer.
1: Yeah, I hope you're listening, too. Um, you are going through the most profoundly difficult period, I think, right now. And it is, it is, the I think, in my life and career, the reason that I stayed in this field was because of parents going through that exact period of time. Um, I I will always remember, I was just a student at UCLA, I was a grad student at UCLA, and I was given the task of overseeing the clinic, right, which Mm -hmm. was, so I had to organize everything, and we didn't have that many patients back then, this is before 1987 when the recovery studies were published, so we had maybe a handful, like 10 patients or so, but um, it was no question, I would stay at night and talk with the parents and it was always the parents who would come to my office and uh, just sit there with me, the moms especially, and just cry and say, I've lost all hope. What do I do? I have to change all my plans and my life and dreams and everything have been shattered. And I think for me, that was as a, you know, grad psych student, I was not thinking at that point that I would be going into treatment of autism for the rest of my life i thought that you know it was meaningful for me to sit and and deal with the depression and anxiety and and trauma i guess that parents were going through and th- so that that was what kind of kept me in the field um so just so you know this is not a st- you're not going to be feeling this way forever yeah. let's start there it's going to be it will pass and there are some things you can do that- to make it pass faster um, you've just gone through trauma. This is trauma, what you've experienced, because trauma is when, you know, something happens in your life that is so unexpected that you feel like all of your future plans and dreams were shattered. And that's traumatic. And so the, the fastest way to, um, get around that or overcome that is To understand that there are, that it's not a permanent change and that it very well could be just a deviation, which is meant for you. It's something that was, it's, your path needs, can't go straight. It has to go this way first. And just being okay with that without fear. Because fear, the fear that we experience, I think, is all about Oh my god, what now? Like all the things, right? I mean, and you know much better. It's like, how, how will he be? How will she grow up? What will her life be like? What will yeah. happen? Plus all of our own stuff, which is like, yeah. now I can't do this and it's not that and all this. That's why I love that, that, um, poem, I guess that someone wrote, which welcome is welcome to Holland. Welcome to Holland. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, saying that we thought we were going to be in Italy, but now we're right. in Holland. And, and with your little girl, um, I think what you need to do is refocus. Just think about the next couple of years and refocus on what she needs now. And there is no reason that in a couple of years you won't be able to go back to doing some of the things that you want to do with her. But right now she needs something else. And what she needs now is um, to learn the rules of life through a very specific technique called ABA, right? So it's not like it's gonna be forever, but right now I'm guessing that the reason the teacher said this is not for her in ballet class was because maybe she wasn't following instructions, maybe she was um, running off, not paying attention, tantruming maybe, I don't know, like what was going on in the class. But all of those kind of behaviors that the teacher felt were maybe disruptive to the class can come under control if someone who is good at ABA works with her and teaches her uh, that some behaviors are good, some behaviors are not acceptable. And so if you can you know, stay calm, pay attention, listen to the teacher, follow instructions, look at the other kids and do what they're doing, if all of those things are taught to her, then there's no reason for her not to be able to go back into the class. But you know, sometimes we have to take that journey that takes us sideways and learn those things. And, and the best way to learn those things, the fastest way to learn those things is ABA. And for you as a parent, getting there, the sooner you refocus your energy, like all the love and energy that you had around, I want to do ballet with my daughter. Try to refocus that to, I want to do. ABA and speech and whatever else she might need right now this is my path this is my journey for the next year and I'm going to really focus on giving her all those things and as soon as you put your mind into it it, you'll feel better too Mm -hmm. I feel like so many parents as soon as they start doing yes which comes after the fear because the fear paralyzes us right and we're like I don't even want to be here and then once you get past that and you start doing, then things get better. Absolutely.
0: And the one thing that I would add, um, we had a gentleman on the show a long time ago. His name was Dancing Dan. And he was making a documentary about um, ballet and dance with people who have other diagnoses, including autism, Down syndrome, and other things. His film is done, and we've been talking about having, having him be on the show, nice. but it's available. If you Google Dancing Dan, and I can't remember what the name of the film is, but I do want to tell you that um, you know he found all these dance teachers and all yeah. these wonderful ballerinas, both male and female that were on the spectrum and had other differences, were yeah. other neurodivergent yep. uh, things that are dancers and love ballet. And and I'm sure now the next time you go to the ballet, you're going to notice that everyone there isn't neurotypical. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's no reason not to hope. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Sky's the limit. Who knows? Like, we don't know look, you could have had a child who was neurotypical and didn't like ballet. That's a reality. Like, we all have to deal with that, that our children come out and we have these plans that we want to do things with them and they have different interests. But I don't want you to think that it's off the table. Yeah, This diagnosis doesn't mean that it's off the table. I hope that you will take everything that Dr. Grampy Shea said and that you will go and run and do that. And very quickly you will find yourself be. you know, I worried about this same thing that there were things, and my husband worried about this. I remember when, when it really hit my husband that, you know, and it was probably a year and a half after it hit me that our child was on the spectrum and he had this moment. And he kind of fell apart, and we were in a place where it was not (laughs) conducive to falling apart. And I said, what is happening? He said, I just realized I don't know if he's ever going to know what it's like to be in a play. Oh, my gosh. And he just was sobbing, and he said, I just, I I hope that he can appreciate what it's like to be a part of a group that's putting on a play. And and I just realized maybe that'll never be for him. My son's been many plays. Yeah, He's a theater minor in college. You can get there. Yeah. Um, but there's yeah. a whole lot of other things you gotta do first so that they can appreciate what it is you're trying to share with them.
1: Yeah. So. And I wanna actually like take a moment. Yeah. At, at, because this question is so important. Yes. For so many different reasons. You know, as we know right now, there's this whole thing going on against ABA where people are mm. saying ABA is too difficult or is too yeah. harsh, too tough. Um, and there's a whole area coming out in ABA called compassionate care, compassionate ABA and compassionate care. And, of course, all care, all treatment needs to be as compassionate as possible. That's a given. But what I want to talk about is, is this exact scenario that you're experiencing and a lot of other people experience is... You know, we want to be as compassionate as possible to our kids. And the first two questions of today are, are great, because the first one is saying, can I just let my child paint forever? Yeah. And the second one is saying, I want my child in ballet, but he can't, she can't, the teacher doesn't want her in the classroom. Yeah. And you notice that what happens if we don't have some rules, if we don't have some teaching around social behavior is that our kids get excluded from life right like your child being excluded from this classroom is easily fixable if you teach her some of the the skills that she needs in order to be able to join and remain a part of the environment in the ballet class which has its own rules right And life is like that, right? Every social situation, every classroom, every, just think about like if you're in in a restaurant, if you're getting on a bank, or if you're getting on a bus, or if you're, every one of those has a set of social rules that we all have to adhere to. Nobody wants to stand in line for something at the airport, but you do. What if we didn't? What if we all just like crawled on top of each other when we got to TSA? What would happen then? So all of these rules are rules that we have to learn. And so when people criticize ABA because it's about teaching those rules, this is the answer that I give, is that if you don't learn those rules, you are excluded from social environments. You're not given the opportunity to join the world. Right? And that's what's really, really important, I think. And so, you know, thank you for both of you writing those questions in. Yes. And I just wanna say for parents who um have brought their children to ABA and have, you know, taught their kids these rules, thank you. Because I'm really worried about the future of ABA. Yeah. Because people are so critical of the fact that that you know, those trying to use ABA to teach our kids rules are doing something wrong. Yeah, I do
0: want to say though that there are some people who are doing it I, In every
1: field, I'm sure yeah, there are. I'm that, sure there that, are people you know, doing it wrong, yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, Maddie says, why aren't there any help for a person with autism that
1: is not really disabled but can't be on their own? I think, Maddie, if you don't mind, explain to us a little bit more when you say can't be on their own. Is it just because they're afraid? Is it because they need assistance? I'm not sure I understand that the question. That would be really
0: helpful. Parker noted that teachers are a great foster of creativity. My elementary music teacher, Mrs. Casden, shout out to her, helped foster my love of music, on the painting thing. Uh and and he says Nancy would be a great answer for this question. And uh, and it's funny, I was thinking about Wyatt because mm-hmm. Wyatt is a brilliant painter. Yeah. Um and yep. you know, but Wyatt asks for paint. And Wyatt you know, one of the conversations mm-hmm. that he has, he likes to name the colors he does color studies before he paints anything mm-hmm. and and there used to be times that I would be on the phone with Nancy at night, and Wyatt would be in the background, and He'd go, "Mom, what color is this?" And she 'd say, "Well, that's more of a cornflower blue that's why I was saying maybe he needs an azure blue or whatever and and they would have discussions about the color that was deeply pleasurable for him nice so nice. you don't want to leave that out. Um okay uh my son who is 5 years old was enrolled in ABA during summer to improve his peer inter- interaction skills but he doesn't like ABA. He mm. became very aggressive after he joined ABA pinching and scratching and I know that they said more stopped. I stopped the therapy after 6 weeks. My son basically is very rigid and makes his own decisions with clothes, food or play. I'm confused whether I should continue the therapy. After school in the fall, and I think that's all they've written so yeah, far. Yeah,
1: and that's a great, great question. I'm glad you did ask that question because I think it's, again, goes back to balance. So you need to first of all make sure that the people that are providing the therapy, as Shannon said, there are people doing good ABA and people doing not so good ABA. And the not-so-good ABA can be in two forms. One is that it can be too strict and not rewarding enough and not fair to the child. It can also be not-so-good if it's just play. Let's, let's be honest. ABA is a teaching technique. So the the whole concept of ABA is that I want to teach you a series of things, but I'm going to make them into small chunks, and I'm going to reward you a lot so that you enjoy the journey to some extent. Now, in the beginning of ABA, let's let's be very very frank about this. In the beginning of ABA, it isn't always the most fun because new rules are being implemented. Those same rules that I was just talking about earlier, for example, um, you know, when you are with peers, you cannot just talk about your own subject. I'm just, I don't, you know, children are different levels, so. Peer interaction at different levels has certain rules. So let's say when you're with peers, you can't aggress towards them. You can't just talk over them. You can't push them. You can't stand too close to them. You have to take turns. Um, you have to listen, actually, and ask questions. I mean, there's a massive amount of rules that we teach about conversation or social behavior with peers, Right. And so all of these rules may not be necessarily rules that our child may not want to adhere to all these rules, right? Like the child might be used to talking over everyone, walking away whenever they're finished talking about their subject, um, you know, getting upset or aggressive when when the subject changes to something they don't want. Those rules that are now we're implementing may not be easy for the child to learn, because it's a change, it's demands, it's new set of criteria for how to get your rewards from the universe. So basically, the beginning of ABA is going to always be a little bit tougher. I'm saying that because I don't know how long he was in there before you decided to pull him out. Six weeks. Six weeks. So that's usually a little bit of an early time frame. You should probably give him the opportunity to be in there a little bit longer, but that being said i want to make sure that you observe and establish that the folks who are doing aba are doing a good job because i do never want a child to stay in an environment that where he's like you know being treated wrong right so yeah. you want to make sure he's being treated well it's quality aba and then i would give him a little bit of a longer time because what happens is when you I'll give you an example. Um, as an adult, let's say you're going to work and you're going to work from 9 to 5, right? If suddenly someone comes and says, uh, now you have to start coming to work at 8 a.m., you're going to object. The very first thing you'll do is you'll be like, I don't think that's fair. I'm not coming to work at 8 a.m. Why should I come to work at 8 a.m.? Now, if you don't have the language to make that objection, You'll act out in different ways, right? You'll be angry when you go in at 8 a.m. Maybe you will not go in. And, uh, you, we act out when we can't express ourselves. So it's possible that your child was um, acting out. He was pinching and scratching because he didn't want to go into this environment that had new rules, right? As long as you observe the environment and you make sure that it's fair, it is rewarding, you're, they're not... Being, you know, abusive or in, in, inappropriately uh, mean to your child, then and if it's just you know we are asking him to do certain behaviors and we're giving him the rules and we're giving him rewards when he does it, we're not giving rewards when he does challenging behavior. That is good ABA. As long as that's happening, the period of time in the very beginning, you should you should kind of give it a little bit more time. Because it's always hard for every child to get used to new rules. There we go. Uh, I want to
0: acknowledge that NH Pop said, for the parent whose two-and-a-half-year-old daughter got kicked out of ballet, as Dr. Doreen said, this is the hardest part. It gets better. Don't give up hope. My son is five-and-a-half now and doing so much better then at three, when he was diagnosed, he's now writing words and sentences. Nice. Riding a ba- bike with no training wheels and swims across a pool unassisted. I thought all of that would be impossible two and a half years ago. Your daughter still likely can do ballet someday. It's just a little less, uh, a less direct route. It's even possible if she likes ballet, it could ultimately help her to excel at it. Just yeah. as my son's love of sea animals, water and swimming has helped him to learn swimming very quickly. And I loved, I loved that. And Maddie had written back in, she had written about the person who needs assistance, but can't, uh, be alone. Uh, they said, she said they can't work needs redirection and everything. There aren't any programs for them. Tried to work, but can't
1: follow three step directions. Okay. So those are the things that need to be taught. And that's, it's not about the label. It's not about being, you know, having a disability or being disabled. We're not, I don't care about any of those labels. It's about teaching the individual the skills they need in order to be able to succeed. So you just now picked out a very important skill, which is three step directions. And so what you need is someone to work with your son and teach them Three step directions, very basic ones initially, and then more advanced ones that are, that involve different locations, longer periods of time, etc. cetera. And there's gonna be other skills, by the way. There are, I mean, one of the things I really wanna do, and hopefully I'll, I'll find the right people and, and be able to fund it properly to develop some adult centers, because mm. I think it's really important for folks to learn uh, to, to, to ha- there just like we teach kids, there's got to be places where we can teach adults skills. And that yeah. just never really existed and still to this day is very, very minimal. And I think There are some, but there, there are there some. Are few and far between. Yes. And it is very possible, Maddie, to teach those types of things. And this won't be the only thing, by the way. Like yeah. specific skills that are for vocational uh, skills and reasons would have to be taught. And all of those things, you know, sometimes we think like we could just teach our children long, very difficult tasks. That's not how it works. They need things to be retaught in smaller steps and practiced, and he will be able to do it. It, He's just really not had the opportunity to be taught. And uh, depending on where you are, Maddie, he's 18. I don't know where you are. I know that the SARC group in Arizona, they have a very good adult program, from what I've heard. And you might want to get in touch with them and find out if they know of other resources um, all over the country for adults. Yeah, VJ's World wrote it and said, What
0: can caregivers of nonverbal adus- ad- autistic adults that are unable to live on their own do to help them become more independent, which goes along with this? and I I was on a call earlier this morning where we were talking about exactly these things. Mm -hmm. It's not a one-size-fits-all because different people need different things, but it really becomes about looking. If you're in California, Mm -hmm. you have the advantage that California um, has a self-determination program, and lots of people are getting funding to be able to do all kinds of different programs that are out there for adults. But depending on what the skill level is and what the desire is, if you want the person to live independently or you want them to just live outside of the home? There are all different kinds of programs out there, like the Minnesota Life College. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, there are here in Los Angeles, there are adult daycare programs where they teach computer skills. Yeah,
1: to people yeah. who are nonverbal. I think it would be really valuable if we were able to like put these all on a list and then maybe to. put them out on like our various websites. Because I think you're right. I mean, it'll take me a while, I know, to wrap my uh, thoughts around how to get this started. It's, yeah. and, and it's very, very necessary. But in the meantime, we have some resources. Not yes, only we do, do we have, like, do you know all these places that are very helpful and we should uh, we'll uh, help people, but in addition to that, we also have now or will soon have uh skills for adults. Yeah. And we can put that out there, right? Yes. And have people look at this curriculum, which is a list of uh just lessons and how to teach various things. Yes. And certain th- this I'm not even sure if it's on if it's technologically available anymore or not because I haven't owned it in 5 right. years. So now that I will get it back, I'll have to look and see how we can make that accessible. That would be absolutely amazing. Long Island, amazing. Long Island.
0: Okay. Well, I will look for resources there. Yeah. But sometimes people send their children away. Minnesota Life College, we've had them before on the show, and, and people, it's like going away to college. I love it. But it's a place where they teach independent skills. And not everyone who, it's a two-year program, uh, not everyone who graduates goes on to live independently. Some of them go back home. Some of them go to um, a group home situation where they can get some assistance. Um, But the point is that they are more independent in terms of, and they've had that experience about being away from home. We were also talking this morning about here in, in California, there are two really good overnight camps, one where you can send your child away for the week that deal with nonverbal adults. Yeah, I love this. And, and, you know, uh, I your love child, it. you know, usually people say send them overnight first and then send them for a couple of days and then send them for a week and then they can go for two weeks to a month during the summer and they, it fosters independence.
1: It's amazing. And it also allows the parents to have a break, of which, course, is insane. Yeah. which is, which
0: is great for everybody. So anyway, we'll put together a list. We'll That's curate awesome. the list and then we'll see what you can do with skills for adults. That's yeah. very exciting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Autism journey with Elijah. Welcome. Uh, says, uh, uh, well, and I've got several repeats here. He's into drawing, but his drawing is ugly. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was just a judgment call, Mom, but then I read on. He likes to draw blood and guts and mean characters. Oh, I see. I think he saw it on YouTube, but for sure learned it from kids last year in class because the teacher was uh, has told us it's, it's like a, a pandemic in the room. The kids at school do watch, and we cannot control that. I know it is what he likes to do, but not everything is positive in what he draws. So how do we get him to draw more positive things when his friends in class continue to draw these things? And at home, we cut all influencers that trigger this thought process and behavior, looking for different direction that we can stay on the same page at school and
1: home. It's a great question. It is a very good question, and it's one of those situations where you need to get the school more involved and help them understand what's going on. And honestly, they shouldn't be letting other kids do that either. Like, it's not just about your son. It's also about the other kids, and drawing blood and guts and stuff is not a good thing for the classroom either. So I think it has to do with just if you have to, and I know... This mom, she'll do everything. Yeah, she's amazing. I think you should just call an IEP. First start with the talking to the teacher and the principal and say, he's imitating this. This is your responsibility, you guys. You have brought this on, <laughs> right, in class. So I need your help stopping this. He's imitating this from peers, and I need you to stop allowing this kind of drawing. This is not healthy for any child no. to be drawing this kind of stuff. It's not the right thing. And they need to work with you to set some new rules about things that can be drawn and not drawn. Yeah. And they need to very simply start rewarding nicer drawings and, you know, get rid of the drawings that are not good. And over time, the kids will learn that. Yeah. Uh, in in olden days, if a child had drawn blood on a
0: thing, there would be a conference with the parents yes. and a psychologist would be yes. brought in and it would all be nipped in the bud. And now yes. everybody's so laissez-faire about it, it's not okay. Uh, Parker wants to know, why is there such a problem with self-diagnosis? Other self-advocates say that there are multiple barriers to diagnosis. Are there ways to close those barriers and make diagnosis available? And should self-diagnosed individuals be kicked out of the autism community? I don't want them taking the services that we are on wait lists for.
1: That's such a valid point, Parker, and an important statement that you made. First of all, I don't think... um, I think it's very it's it's not very valid if we diagnose ourselves. Whatever the diagnosis may be, it's different. It's not a physical thing, right? You're if it was a physical thing, like let's say you have, you know, whatever, an ulcer. It, you're using your mind to objectively evaluate your physical being and then you're saying, "Oh, I think I have an ulcer." Okay. But with mental issues, you're using your mind to, uh, identify a series of symptoms that could be occurring in your mind. And so it's very, very tricky to say, I have, I self-diagnosed myself because our mind plays tricks on us. It's just that simple. And you're, you are going to be subjective. There's no way that your mind can be objective about itself. And so, I think it's very important for someone else to identify those behaviors, symptoms, et cetera, that go into a, a diagnosis. Um, I guess too often I've had individuals who have difficulty in one area um, hope to find their tribe and therefore self-diagnose themselves as being on the spectrum. I've even met individuals who just wanted work accommodation and were kind of not being very truthful and exaggerating their own symptoms in order to get a work accommodation for a diagnosis of autism. So I share your frustration, Parker, in the sense that, um, people start to not take it seriously when, you know, everyone says, Hey, I have some aspect of autism too. And it's just not taken seriously. And individuals who really do need the services, um, you know, there's less to go around than. I agree with all of that. In general, I think that everyone should get a formal diagnosis before going around and saying, I have one thing or another, especially when it has to do with mental. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that.
0: I In fact, I probably lost a friend over that, um, that somebody had reached out to me and said that they have self-diagnosed themselves and that they wanted me to mentor them in terms of starting their own show and and things of that nature. And I said, if you are going to step into the public light and say you're going to identify this way, my advice to you is that you go and get a formal diagnosis. And that was not the answer that they wanted to hear. Oh, um, yeah. and uh, you know, I was like, well, yeah. I guess that didn't work out then <laughs> yeah, I'm like not the right mentor for you because I just don't think yeah. that the space can handle it. No, it's um, not right either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Anyway, Stephen has written in a great question. How, Stephen, I struggled with this. I still struggle with this. How do you know when to accommodate your autistic child and when to push them? My son doesn't like bright light and asks for sunglasses. But you could apply this to so many different things. When do you push? When do you accommodate?
1: I love that. I love this question so much because it goes back to being there. And right. it goes back to balance. Everything I talk about is this. So, you basically want to just, you know, accept the fact that um, what you're trying to do is you. And and this is for parents who actually want to do this, right? Because I think yesterday I was having a conversation about this with someone where they were talking about how they felt that all individuals on the autism mm-hmm. spectrum should have the choice. Of whether or not they want to change or should be changed. And I said, yeah, I kind of, dis- I agree with that to some extent, but I also feel that we all live in one society and we all don't have every choice. For instance, in the morning, you know, maybe I get up and I just feel like going out in my nightgown, but that's not a choice I have. I can't do that. I can't come to work that way. Why? Because Society will judge me, I won't get opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just kind of ridiculous, right? So I have Although to- Although I'm always out
0: in my front yard in my nightgown.
1: <laughs> Everyone in our neighborhood <laughs> has seen me in my nightgown, I apologize. Uh, but I'm <laughs> just saying, yes. it's like there are rules, yes. right? And so you have to kind of adhere to those rules no matter how hard they are. We all do. So individuals on the spectrum also to some extent have to. And on the other hand, we also, all of us, have um, things that we use to accommodate how we go through life. For example, like my husband hates flying. He just hates it. He does really? not like getting on a plane. He's always hated it. He oh, will always yeah. hate it. There's nothing I can do about it. How is he still with you? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> when I'm there, he's fine because okay. I'm there, and he's so busy taking care of me <laughs> and my stuff. Okay. That he's busy, right? Okay. When he's on his own, he just absolutely hates it. Got it. So what he does is he always wears a, um, something with a hood. Mm-hmm. He always has his headphones, and they're the ones that are go over your ears, mm-hmm. right? And he always wears sunglasses. So what he does, and he always wears a cap, too. So it's kind like so like of like a bunch of stuff. bunch of stuff <laughs> on his head and ears and eyes, right? Right. So he will have his sunglasses on He'll put when he gets on the plane. He'll put his um, headphones on and he'll put his hood over the whole thing. So that helps him feel very secure, I wow. guess, and also like in a different world because he's always like listening to something or whatever it is. And that gives him the ability to overcome whatever anxiety flying causes him. So that makes it fair for him. It makes it fair. It makes it safe. It makes it balanced. Yeah. And in your son's case, wearing sunglasses, why would you consider that something that you don't want to allow him to do? Probably because it's indoors. It could but. be totally fine. It's a totally fine thing. Yeah. You can buy him lighter and lighter sunglasses so that he gradually has glasses that are just lightly tinted. Yeah. Not a problem. In fact... Maybe that's helping him visually because a lot of our kids have different visual perception skills um, and totally not a problem at all. So for me, it's always about balance and not, you know, pick your battles. If, if your son did what my husband does, would that then be concerning for you just because he has a diagnosis and that's what I mean. Like, yeah. if you have a child, and we start to judge them a little bit too harshly, right? And it's kind of like, I remember, I, I'll, I will never forget this. It was years and years ago. I was a student at UCLA, and I remember I was, so we had this floor, the fifth floor of the psych department. And Ivar Lovas, who was my mentor and dear friend, was his office was here. My office was two doors down. And then we had a bunch of rooms that we called clinic rooms. Mm -hmm. And so I'd go back and forth between the various clinic rooms and occasionally I'd go in to check something with him and so on. So I go into a clinic room and there's a child there or teenager, um, young teenager. And he was, um, he had a pencil and he was tapping this pencil so rapidly. And I just told the therapist, I was like, you gotta stop this. Like he's, uh, stop that behavior. And like, let's teach him something to that's incompatible with that. And then I left the room and I went to visit Ivar, and he was doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> and I remember thinking, "Wow, I just made a judgment because that individual has a diagnosis." Right. Otherwise, tapping a pencil is pretty acceptable. Yeah. And so I went back and I was like, "It's actually okay, unless it interferes with his." Uh, with what else he's trying to do, leave him right. alone. Yeah, And so it's important to look at things that way. Yeah. If he didn't have the diagnosis, would it be acceptable? There we go. And that's when you don't push anymore. Okay. We tend to push because we become too picky. I've had that with so many parents. So yeah. many parents are like, but is this okay? Like another good example is just the amount of time on an iPad. Yeah. Parents will always ask me, We only give him an hour, but we were told that's not okay. And I'm like, every 10 year old will have at least an hour. I don't know what's wrong with that as long as he's willing to give it up. It's, it's a great thing actually because it's a reinforcer. You don't want to prevent our kids from having access to their reinforcers. So just balance. It's always, the answer is always balance. There we go. I gotta get to this question or Marina will stop
0: speaking to me. Okay. Uh, my three year old was diagnosed with ASD this year. He's currently getting therapy through a place, I'm not gonna say the name, in Canada. We uh, also had some dietary changes, but I'm wondering whether you have found other interventions approaches have been effective for your clients, even on an anecdotal basis. We want to make sure we're doing everything we can for our son to achieve the best possible outcome. But his expressive language skills are still quite low uh, to develop. We're also based in Canada, where we find our options for services somewhat limited, limited um, and they want to know if you'll do
1: a phone call or a personal appointment. Um Yes, yeah, so I'm happy to do a phone call um and do a an evaluation. It'll probably be a little bit later in the year. Like, and I think we expressed that that not okay. until after September. Yeah. Yeah, uh, just life is insanely busy right now. Yeah. But um I, there are many other things and you don't want to necessarily try everything. You want to try the things that are appropriate for your child. Yeah. And so I do always want to start with an and um Shannon and I have presented on this multiple times, there's a series of things that you kind of want to think about. Is And these are, like, first thing very important is sleep, is your child sleeping. If your child's not sleeping, well, we need to deal with that and figure out, like, make, get a get a doctor to look at it, figure out what you can do, figure out why the child's waking up and all that sort of stuff. Then you focus on biomedical issues, and the biomedical issues could be, A variety of things, you know, like you want to check stool and make sure it's normal and is there anything going on with gastrointestinal, does the child have bloating, other issues, and if they do, then we want to look at possible diets um, obviously, every child I feel like should, you should, if you feel like they're ingesting a massive amount of milk, for instance, that's a pretty good indicator that they might need to come off casein. Right. You know, if you're having a lot of bloating, that's a good indicator that they might need to come off gluten. There are diets that are helpful to the health and well-being of the child on a day-to-day basis. And when the child feels better, then they obviously Learn better, yeah. right? And they're paying Amen. attention better, and all that sort of stuff. And so those types of things are super important. Sensory issues—we've been talking about a little bit today—and that's kind of important as well. Is you know what are the things in the environment that are maybe so uncomfortable that the child is is being isolating or something like that? So is the child in an in an environment where they are uh, comfortable? I guess is the word that I'm looking for. So. You kind of look at all the external factors that you can control, and then it really becomes about other treatments, and the treatments are primarily ABA, speech, and specifically a certain type of speech therapy that I think is, helps our nonverbal kids get going, which is prompt based speech therapy. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there are some children whose, whose, um, energy levels are so dysregulated that you're looking at possibly occupational therapy type things. Now, that all said, there are some children where there's other issues going on medically, where, or, or mentally, where medication can help the child stabilize to the point where they're actually able to learn more. For instance, if there's severe hyperactivity or attention deficit, medications for that are very helpful if there's very severe obsessive compulsive types of behaviors then any of the serotonin reuptake inhibitors can be helpful there's so it's a matter of just like making sure that the child is medically physically functioning at their best so that you can actually then give them a ton of stuff to learn and that kind of is how it all works Amazing. It's hard.
0: Yes, it is. But uh, we'll we'll make sure that we connect you uh, after September. Parker wants to know. Uh, he says, "I hope that Act gives grants for adults to get diagnosis because he's heard that income is a huge barrier to get getting the actual diagnosis." And he's volunteered his services. If you need someone to verify, that's claims. so
1: nice for uh, uh, Parker. I appreciate that. No, we do. We, we, we absolutely, diagnosis is one of the areas, and we don't care what the age is. Yeah. And we actually even have people that we can refer to as well for the diagnostic. Um, but I, I would, yeah, I'm happy to fund that through ACT. There we absolutely. go. Absolutely.
0: And Joe says, My child had labs done, and her alkaline phosphate was high. The doctor said it might be caused by a growth span, mm. um, but wanted to confirm because looking at this online, it's something totally different.
1: And I cannot help you, I'm afraid, Joe. This is something more for a functional medicine doctor, um, who can help under, like review with you the blood chemistry. Um, I, I found that I learned a lot about my own blood tests once I started seeing a functional medicine physician. Because our physicians, they don't, really like western medicine they don't really explain to you what each thing is they just tell you if something is abnormally high or low and that's what the lab does for you anyway but I think that when you if you can get to see a functional medicine physician they will actually explain to you the chemistry of every part of your functioning And I think that's probably what you're looking for at this point. Which would be amazing. And also, I think you can also, uh, because it's your child, and you might want to look at MedMaps. They have a lot of really good functional medicine doctors on their list. And you can find M-E-D-M-A-P-S dot
0: org. Um, and there, then there are lots of information, but there is a list, and you can go and see who is closest. You always want to look at that list, and, um, it's a very diverse list. Yes. Like, there's people on that list that are pediatricians, there's people that are,
1: um, nutritionists, and, and psychologists, and what's a DO? A, uh, a doctor of osteoporosis. Yeah, those are, but those are like, similar to medical doctors, they're just, yeah. but, um, so the functional. list functional
0: very, there's a sports medicine person on that list. I mean, um, you know, there's a, it's a very, so you really want to be mindful of that too, because if you're, if you're having gut issues that, and you decide to go see somebody that that's not their expertise, it can be very expensive. So take a look at the list, look around and then, you know, ask, I don't think many of them give a free consult, but they usually have somebody who works with them. That's like a a liaison that you can talk to to see if it's a good fit before you go. I remember the first time, even before they were called MedMaps, there was somebody that we would heard great things about, Mm -hmm. that we were going to go and be with this doctor, and someone who I really trusted pulled me aside and said, I don't think it's going to be a good fit for you. Oh, You have so many questions, and you like to be in charge. Interesting. this interesting. doctor is not going to tolerate that. Interesting. And, and he's not going to let you ask a lot of questions. And I went, oh. And she probably saved me $10,000. Wow. Um, because wow. that would not have worked for me.
1: That's interesting. And instead,
0: I went with another doctor who let me ask all the questions I wanted to, and... And let me say, I'm not going to do this. Yeah, I'm going to do this instead. And him, and then he helped me to figure out how to do that. You know,
1: that being said, Shannon, and I think this is something important for all of the parents. Is that these guys are physicians, and they should you, your insurance should be covering this. Now, a lot of these folks won't accept uh, medical insurance. Yes. That does not mean you cannot get paid for your visit. So, and especially this time of the year, this is when I tell people to start really doing all of these things because. At the beginning of the year, you have your deductible, and hopefully, by now you've seen other doctors and your child has seen other doctors, and your deductible is getting to the point where it's full yeah and when that happens any you you go and see this these doctors and you can pay them on your credit card or something, but you get a statement for your insurance and you send it into your insurance company and after the deductible. Uh, They need to give you some coverage, so don't accept denials on this kind of thing. These are physicians. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter if the physician doesn't accept health insurance. That doesn't matter at all. All that means is that they're not going to do your insurance billing. You get their statement and give it to your insurance, and your insurance needs to be reimbursing at least fifty percent of that, if not more.
0: Okay, I think everybody's mind... That's very, (sighs) very important.
1: Okay, I want to fit one last question that goes with our topic.
0: Do people with autism always have a special talent, especially in the arts? And how do you find out if your child has a special talent?
1: Yeah, I don't know that. Just like us, I'm not sure that children on the spectrum always have a talent. But many do, and when they do, their talents are pretty extreme, I want to say. It's almost like, um, you know, you talk about individuals like Stevie Wonder, for instance, who uh, became more and more of an incredible musician after he lost his vision. And I think that has to do with the, when you lose a sense, there's, a, you know, you are focused on other senses more. And j- like, as we know, a lot of people who don't have vision, have incredible hearing yeah. because they depend on it more, right? Yeah. And I don't know if that is we don't know much about what our how our kids experience the world, right? We're just assuming, we're making assumptions. But I will say some of my kids, their art is insane. Like right. it's incredible. It's just absolutely fantastic. Um, it, it, and all mediums, like not just you know, I mean there, it's just mind-blowing, beautiful stuff that they yeah. do. Um And then music as well. I mean, I've had children where without any kind of instruction, they've just picked up and started to play uh unbelievable music. So yeah. that's a whole nother and, and other things too. I mean, sometimes our kids are just like really, really, really good at like visual memory tasks yeah. and things like that. So there is a... um savant aspect to some of the creativity that our kids exhibit yeah. not always the case, but um, e- even if that's not the case, let's not forget that these creative activities are, are f- function as reward and function as a really good way to uh, spend your leisure time and so they're healthy across the board
0: yeah, and I think exposure. You know, everybody I know that has a kiddo, I I think of Spencer Hart, who is a beautiful opera singer. Yes. This this young woman sings, and it's like everybody goes, oh, my goodness, an angel. Um, But it was because her mom was playing the Phantom of the Opera on television and left the room for a second and heard this other voice. And she was like, what am I hearing? And it was her largely at the time nonverbal daughter singing opera as if she'd had lessons. You got to expose them to things, yes. and it means throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall. You go to all kinds of cultural yeah. things and encourage anything them. that's hands-on yep. to let them try. You know, they offer those free art lessons, and you take them. And maybe they go, it's not right for them, but you, you, you know, they got yeah. the free art lessons. Yeah, you know, take them to everything. Take them to the symphony. We need to have our kids out in the world and hearing things and seeing right. things. The rest of the world may not respond well. And people may give you a hard time and tell you that your child should not be there. And you gotta get a thick skin about that, but take them out into the world and they, they, you'll see what they're drawn towards. It's a very exciting thing. We're out of time and i got to yes, let you go. Sure. But you guys uh, we are back tomorrow. We've got a great show. We've got two guests for you tomorrow. One that's going to be talking about neurodiversity in the workplace and coaching individuals to be able to get through the the process of applying for jobs. Nice. And then we have Sarah Bradford going to be with us talking about the 1 in 36 mix. This is a virtual autism summit that's coming up next week. Um, she's going to be here talking about that and don't forget on Friday, we have Let's Talk All the Things with Rachel Bird. We're going to be talking about a new article that's come out talking about uh, individuals on the spectrum interacting with the armed forces. Oh, wow. Um, So that plus a whole bunch more. So until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone. Don't forget, you can watch Ask Dr. Doreen live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We hope to see you there.